Hey everybody, General Tyler. Uh, unfortunately, it seems like Lex Luthor decided to sabotage the editing of this podcast. We had a technical malfunction and are missing the last 15 minutes of this episode. And they're just... bye-bye. So, that means you guys are going to have to go without our recommendations for this week, and are also going to miss knowing what my top three Superman stories are. Um, I promise that I'll find some way to bring those up again at some other point. Uh, the other important thing, though, that you guys are missing that I will throw out now is if you do like this episode once you listen through to it, please hit subscribe, please share it around. Uh, that's just going to help us out. We are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. You can go check out our show or any of the others over at earworm.com. That is E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. I'm also on the horror-themed, horror movie-themed podcast, Fried Squirms. Uh, you can also hear Zach over on The Art of Wargaming. Uh, we would highly appreciate it if you check those both out. And now on to talking about Superman. General Nerdery. Tyler, what's that out the window? Is is it a bird? It's not a plane. It's it's Superman. Or it's like the kid shooting basketballs. Probably the kid shooting basketball in the uh, school next to your house. But it might be Superman. You don't know. I. You're right. <laughs> I need to be more optimistic about this. Uh, he should. He might be out there for all of us. Oh, that'd make me so happy. Uh, anyways, welcome to General Nerdery, a podcast about liking things. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And. We're here, if case you somehow didn't pick up from this, to talk about Superman today. We are going to talk... Oh, that's going to be exciting. Superman is a great, great character. I have some news first. Oh, of course. I don't think I have as much news as the last couple it's weeks, It's good. So. We had a lot of news. <laughs> and I'm getting... I made my list for this episode of be like, what am I going to talk about in this one? And it was like twice as long as my lists usually are. So, like, Superman time is good. So, over on Marvel Hulu, I yeah. guess, uh, they have can- canceled Howard the Duck and the Tigra. Tigra? Tigra. Tigra and Dazzler show. That's... The fact that those two died, but Hitmonkey somehow survived? I was gonna say, Hitmonkey survives. Howard the Duck even had Kevin Smith attached. Yeah. Oh, right, I forgot that one was Kevin Smith and it's Patton Oswalt on MODOK. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any of this. I know they were still planning on doing the Offenders, so I'm curious if it'll still include any of the... Kind of sounds like Offenders is down the drain because of this, but... Okay, last I had heard Offenders was still going. Um, I don't have Hulu, so I'm not super devoted to these anyways. I liked that they were doing fun stuff, but it didn't really stand a chance when Kevin Feige took over. Mentioning MODOK, we did find out the voice cast, though. Or a big chunk of the voice mm-hmm. cast. Uh, already known, Patton Oswalt's MODOK. That is the entire reason I want to watch the show. Which is, yeah, that's the big draw. A uh, few other decently big names. Fun names, at least. Uh, Amy Garcia from Dexter is uh, his wife, Jody. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Schwartz from Parks and Rec is going to be his son. 
That's, um, he's the one I actually know from this. He's uh, Leslie Nope's boyfriend slash husband in that show, yeah? In Parks and Rec? No. Oh. Ben is the name of the character. Uh, Ben Schwartz, the actor, is Jean Ralphio. Oh, fucking right. Oh, God. (laughs) That's actually kind of amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Because Jean Ralphio is the worst. Uh, Just quick Jean Ralphio spinoff. Me and a coworker just this week were having an amazing time in the back room laughing about how funny <laughs> it would be uh, to play a D&D campaign with a bard that is just Jean Ralphio. Oh my god. Your DM would hate you so... That you was the first thing that. he said. That was the first thing he said. I mean, kind of the goal of the veteran gamer is to make a character where your uh, DM's just like, I hate you, but I'm gonna let you do it. Like, <laughs> I hate you, but this is gonna be amazing. This dragon's the worst. <laughs> Technically homeless after I murdered a man. <laughs> anyway. Woo-hoo! Oh god, I am not gonna let that idea go. That's so uh, good. Melissa Fumero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine as his daughter. That's uh, She plays Amy in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. She's really good. I haven't uh, seen her in anything but Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, Wendy McClendon Covey, Covey? Uh, from the Goldbergs as Modoc's work rival, Monica Rappuccini. I know who Monica Rappuccini is. I do not know who... I have never watched seen... the Goldbergs. Uh-uh. I keep hearing really good things, too. I just don't watch much sitcoms anymore. Like, I have... I'll pick one and be real obsessed with it. So it's Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Letterkenny for me right now. Mm. Like, uh, I do intend to give it a shot at some point, just because I have heard really, really good things about it. And I know Kevin Smith's directed a couple episodes. Oh, but... okay. That's, that's actually the best all I've heard. He directed their Batman 89 episode. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, Saturday Night Live's Beck Bennett as Austin Vandersleet. I don't know either of this. Right. Uh, oh, the person who buys Modoc's company after it fails. Since okay. I think this is all Modoc having to pick himself up from yeah, this, his bootstraps. This Modoc's kind of bootstraps? just seems like sad Adult Swim style cartoon about a failed supervillain and everyone hates him. But, like, for Marvel. Uh, John Daly. Uh, from Curb Your Enthusiasm as Super Adaptoid. Okay. And Sam Veep Sam Richardson as his henchman, Gary. Which one is Sam Richardson? Okay, you're showing me a picture here. I don't remember him, apparently. I watched a bit of Veep. He's in some Office episodes. I can't but not do The Office. Many. The Office stresses me out. And it's weird, because I love Park and, Parks and Rec, but something about The Office is just too much for me. Uh, and he was Jim Brown in Drunk History. I don't know if I've seen that one. I love Drunk History. Drunk History is going to come up today. Uh, I mean, I, I recognize his face. I think it's he's probably going to do a fine job. Cool. Yeah, so that's what we got so far going forward with MODOK. Pat Oswalt's the most exciting thing. Ben Schwartz is probably going to be great. John Daly's always pretty good. So it's just weird that Howard the Duck is gone and hit monkey goes forward it's kind of weird that modok's going for that even howard the duck was considered although they keep using him as a cameo in guardians of the galaxy because steve gunn's a big fan <laughs> which is great oh so we watched the trailer for clone wars season seven right yeah you have not watched all of clone wars if i remember i no i'm three quarters of the way through season 
two, I believe. Okay. You're at the point where it starts to pick up as far as I'm concerned. The first season is a little too much. Now we invade this planet. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to like, let's do storylines. Like, well, now let's do the invasion of Normandy. Or Some the... of that I really actually appreciated seeing, considering it's the Clone Wars. It gets a bit much for me after mm-hmm. like six seasons. Uh, it's part of what I liked about Rebels is they had let like they still had those great big battle moments, but they did them less often and did much more like time for the personalized characters and stuff. But really excited for Clone Wars season seven. I think it looks good. It clearly some of it takes place during Episode three. That was what stood out to me because. Uh, um... Padme's wearing her thing. Right. The events being shown, I'm not knowing. Like, I'm not connecting from what I know of Clone Wars so far. But then there's things I do know, like Prager's Padme. Well, and as as much as I enjoyed Clone Wars, it always kind of killed me to watch all of the character growth that Anakin gets in six seasons of Clone Wars. And he's still a dick. Right. Anakin is still a very unlikable character as far as I'm concerned. But but you actually, like, see bits of why people care about him. And then you go to episode three and... God, it's he's so... All of his character growth just disappears. So seeing some of those events with some of the time they were able to put into these characters is going to be really good for me. I mean, my initial thought from watching that trailer is, oh, they're going to make episode three better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Which I'm I'm okay with. The prequels, I think... I wish a movie didn't need supplemental material. I super agree with you there. Uh, The prequels were always kind of a history lesson first and a movie second. And they always... Mm -hmm. Well, no. A history lesson first. An excuse to play with with CGI second. And then a movie third. Which is why it made some really cool world-building stuff that other Star Wars has been able to use. But they were not good movies. No, they weren't. They were... Well, good. Yeah. I, that'll fight someone over how bad uh, episode two is. Those those could be their own episodes in the future, for sure. <sighs> we don't need to fight all that right now. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I have opinions. <sighs> I am not going to go too much into my prequel rage. Woosah. Especially after defending Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> so... We're getting a Witcher animated series. From the from the Avatar guys, right? They also do Dragon Prince? It's uh, the animation company oh, okay. that did Legend of Korra and did Voltron Legendary Defender, which I fucking love Legendary Defender. It is so good. Well, we know they have some range because those are two uh, pretty different styles, even though they're both kind of kiddie in that mm-hmm. one. Uh, and we know they have some of the best animation in just in the world right now like they're one of the more trusted companies as far as i'm concerned right and uh it's still the same showrunner overseeing it um same as lauren Witcher? schmidt hisrich mm-hmm. cool hisrich hisrich uh and the writer Bo DeMaio, who also just this past week was named to be one of the writers on moon knight nice i forgot they were doing oh like a moon knight comic book no the moon knight uh tv show i forgot they were doing that you're right that's because it's Moon Knight and She-Hulk and... Mm-hmm. Anyways. Uh, is it Cavill doing The Voice, do you know? or I don't know if they've come out with a lot of that information yet. That might be a little expensive for Cavill. Like, or to, to afford Cavill for that. 
I kind of think it is going to be, though. I, I feel like what they're doing is books one and two of The Witcher are collections of short stories. Mm. It's then books three through five that tell the a stories. big saga. And then there's another collection of short stories that's number eight. Well, and so, Cavill really loves doing The Witcher, from what I can tell. Like, he, yeah, he's a big fan. He campaigned for that role. He's a big fan. The show so far was mostly book one mixed with elements from book three. So I have a good feeling that this anime, animation, whatever, mm-hmm. is going to be book two. Oh, so works. that way you get past the other short stories and set them up. But they can just get into the main saga. Well, and if they're willing to do side stories like this, this is a really good way of growing that franchise out without getting too bogged down in it of here's the movie that, or not the movie, the show that kind of covers like the main arching storyline and little animated movies for some of the like good side plot short stories. And they might be able to use it a little bit to set up... One of the downsides to season one was there was a lot of information dump and not a lot of character growth because you just kind of had to get introduced to the world. Yeah. And there's still a lot of the world that hasn't been explained, but the showrunner has already said in interviews that going forward, she wants people to be able to connect to the characters more. So maybe they'll use this cartoon series to dump us with more world information and world building to set up season two even better. Sweet. Um, I still haven't watched The Witcher because as I've talked before, there's just not enough time in the day anymore. But I've heard good stuff and I really want to. Uh, and it's going to be named uh, The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf. So Sounds about right. Uh, let's see. The, <laughs> the Obi-Wan show is delayed. Yeah. Indefinitely. Like, well, it's very weirdly, clear they're still doing it, but... It's technically indefinitely, but Ewan McGregor says that it's only putting off production schedule and that the release is still going to be on the same time. They didn't like the where the plot was going. It was too close to Mando or something like that, so they decided to change it up. Because it was going to be Obi-Wan looking over at least young Luke and potentially looking in on young Leia as well from what's been said. I'm kind of glad that they're changing that. I don't need too much of Obi-Wan interacting with Luke because I don't want... You have to be careful of not wrecking the canon, I guess, with that. Like, it'd be really easy to make some massive plot holes, but it's not... The story's not interesting enough to be worth doing. I agree. I'm just kind of curious where they're going to turn it to instead in that case. It would be a great... Nope, you can't use Maul because they use that in Rebels. It would be a great place to do maybe even some of the Mando world. We could see some of the Siege of Mandalore because Obi-Wan has really tight connections to them later on in Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. I am spoiling all sorts of things for you. I'm sorry. I'm not too worried about it. Luckily, these shows came out a couple years ago. Reports are that J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot is working on Justice League Dark. I will pay more attention to Justice League Dark once something actually gets made of Justice League Dark. Because they've been sitting on it so long that Guillermo's already left the project. Yeah, they've swapped through so many different people that, great, I agree, Justice League Dark is a concept that has legs. Use those weird, creepy DC characters. Put Wonder Woman in there, too. That worked way better than I thought it was going to in the comic book. What do you think of the possibility with J.J.? For those characters, because he's somebody that wouldn't immediately jump to mind for me. I I don't mind J.J. 
he's not a great director, and I shouldn't throw stones like that because I would be a worse director, uh, but he's not a terrible one. He makes fun things. Mm-hmm. He doesn't stick the landing super well in a lot of cases, but he'd be someone who would be willing to use Detective Chimp or really like lean into a fun, sweet, well-made magic action sequence. He wouldn't be my top choice. He's not my worst choice. They already lost my top choice, so he's definitely not my worst choice. Yarmo would have been so interesting, mostly because he would have demanded so much in the physical props. JJ might too, though. JJ's shown he's pretty fond of, like, practical effects thanks to Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, Guillermo, he just... Such a love for those char- those specific characters, too. And his style was just built for it. But Guillermo's one of those characters... Or not characters, one of those directors that when he's like, I'm attached to a project. I'm like, cool. That's not going anywhere. Uh, I guess uh, on board with that style and that feeling... I know that you sent this to me as well after I read it myself. It's not the biggest piece of news, but I thought it was something kind of noteworthy since uh, a lot of companies won't take steps like this, especially when dealing with this author's properties. Oh, it's the the game thing that I sent you. Yeah, the... but uh, Evil Hat Productions, who's currently working on the tabletop RPG Fate of Cthulhu, uh, very notably that made a little bit of a news flash this week, put uh, a page at the very beginning of their book addressing the fact that H.P. Lovecraft... It was a racist shit. ...is a racist. Yeah. He was so racist. That's something we are definitely going to go into in a further episode we've well, talked... Well, and, we haven't talked about on a podcast yet. But we, we have already talked... We've mentioned this on the podcast before because anytime I hear H.P. Lovecraft's name, I scream, that man is so racist. Mm-hmm. I uh, actually... I'm. I want to read out their page out loud. No, no, please do. Uh, Fate of the Cthulhu is a game that deals with many hard topics, including mental health, systemic abuses of power, and the death of huge portions of the human species. Make sure all the players are aware of these things and give enthusiastic consent before they begin playing. I love that he starts with a consent thing, too. Not just talk about racism, but, like, be aware of what you're getting into here. This, yeah, this is the sunshine and rainbows. He gives a content warning. Also... Howard Phillips Lovecraft was a racist and anti-Semite. <laughs> I hadn't read his actual message, just his replies. There, we said it. We could give a litany of examples, but they are easy to find with a simple internet search. Go look up the name of his cat, for instance. HPL was over the top, even for his time. Go ahead. We'll wait. We are not saying that cat's name. No. He even uses it in the very first HPL Lovecraft short story I ever read. Yep. Uh, it's what the rats in the walls oh right it's still one of my favorite despite that <sighs> your fave can be problematic we yep. another thing we've talked about doing an episode on uh now that we've gotten that issue out in the open let us turn our attention why we still find the cthulhu mythos of which he planted the seed a fruitful garden in which to find stories lovecraft once said the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown He filled that void of knowledge with his imagination, creating old ones and forbidden knowledge, strange religions and fantastical superstitions, threats to society, and suspicion of what science might unlock. We can acknowledge the fear behind his imagination while also re-examining what came out of it. In recent years, many writers, including writers of color, have flipped the perspective on some of Lovecraft's most famous stories and made brilliant new works. Excellent examples are The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval, 
The Dream Quest of Velvet Bow by Keith Johnson, Hammers on Bone by Cassandra Kaw, Winter Tide by Ruthanna Emrys, and Agents of Dreamland by Caitlin R. Kiernan. We hope you use them for inspiration just as much as you use Lovecraft's original works. Uh, I've actually heard of Ballad of Black Tom before. It's supposed to be a retelling of one of Lovecraft's short stories from simply a different, a different character's perspective. Nice. From a black man's perspective at what happened at the horror on Red Hook. Oof. I've, there, there's a podcast called Fictional by Jason Iser. He does the Missing Legends podcast as well. Uh, where he, But in Fictional, he retells modern fiction stories. And he does a Cthulhu one. And he does, I believe, stop and talk about how racist Lovecraft was. Because I don't think it's... I don't think we can honestly deal with Lovecraft and not address that elephant in the room anymore. Right. And we're not saying cancel Lovecraft. Especially because he's dead. Right. Like, um, but it's just something that should be acknowledged because it wasn't that it was the 20s and everyone was racist. No, it he was, was bad for the 20s. He was racist for the 20s. Uh, towards the end of the life, he his life, he lightened up a little bit, but he lightened up to the point where he was only moderately more racist than everyone else. Yeah, and he just kind of became a classist instead. He was like, I guess it's not just black people that are problematic, it's poor white people too. And you're like, that's not a great step up there, HP. Yeah. Complicated man, one that I would not have really wanted to be in the shoes of with the things that he dealt with in his life. But also racist and anti-Semite. <laughs> but liking someone's work and liking an author are two separate things. And we've talked about doing an episode on it, but we haven't figured out quite how to address it yet. You can do it, is the short story, short answer, I guess. Like, And you don't have to stop liking them. Just kind of know what you're getting into. Yeah. I think that's the more important thing, is educate yourself, then decide what you're going to do with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about it on a future episode, too. Like <laughs> I said, we're, we're probably going to do an entire episode of Your Fave is Problematic. Oh, yeah. In some way. We're a just... big part of that for me is going to be Lovecraft. Oh, and Wagner. And... I'm just looking for the right guests, like, guest or guests to bring on for that one, because I am a straight white man. Like, I have... When it comes to period fiction or serial fiction, I have... So many advantages mm-hmm. that I think other people's voices are a little more important than mine in this one. Well, we'll I'll figure it out. I'll still talk about it. I, you know me. I'll yeah. still talk. But <laughs> uh, No, I think that is one that, though, that we'll approach more carefully than we're going to sit down and talk about Superman. Yeah, we planned this one out last night. Well, like <laughs> nine o'clock at night. But any more news for us? Uh, I think I got... Maybe one or two more quick things. What do I got here? Actually, no, that's going to be it. Okay. That's it. Uh, that was and that one even we went longer than I thought we were going to go talk on. But it's you just and I interesting. got distracted? Right? No. It's just interesting to see a company doing that. Yeah, I, I really do like seeing that. If you're, if you're going to own an IP, it behooves you to address the IP. Right. And once again, notice that even though they're putting that at the front of their book, they also put out an entire RPG yeah, based on the Yeah, the rest of the book, book is the entire love letter to the mythos, so it's it's complicated. It's Anyways. complicated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what media have you been ingesting this week? What what have I started the Harley Quinn cartoon? Right. I really like it so far. I've 
I want to watch it. I've only seen the the trailers for it so far. I there was a weird. The first five minutes were weird to me. Do you remember the first time you picked up a Marvel Max book, and you started reading it and thought to yourself, "Oh, like, they what the fuck? they really wanted to cuss, didn't they?" Yeah, they did. That's kind of how this is. It goes jump straight in, and you're like, oh, they just really wanted to make a cartoon where they could finally fucking cuss, right? You see, <laughs> I've only seen the the trailers on like Facebook and stuff where they bleep all of it out, and I kind of wish they just kept it that way. I don't have a problem with swearing. I've said fuck like four times this podcast already, but it worked. There was something about the balance that I thought was funny. That's the thing. I was That was my first thought. I was like, wow, they are just cussing up a storm, and then I'm like, I've cussed more than they have in, like, the past hour, and I'm just sitting around here with, like, my cat. Like, what? And they managed to milk a lot of humor out of what they're saying to each other, juxtaposed against the insane action that's at points going Mm -hmm. on, because it is also insanely violent. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And, I mean, they're all bad guys, so they're just, like, they have no problem killing people. And it's weird because they're still just mostly killing each other's henchmen, just left and right. Uh, a lot of really fun things of supervillains just having to deal with the aftermath of their shit, but in ways you don't think about. The The one I brought up to you was uh, the Joker playing phone tag with his contractor to rebuild his lair. <laughs> we, we've seen the, like put superheroes in a real life situation uh the tick like the the early 2000s live action series was one of the first ones to really attempt it but we've never seen much of the like supervillain side of that mm-hmm. uh maybe a little bit like dr horrible sing-along blog but even that wasn't so much about this side of it uh even only a few episodes in like ivy and her relationship is beautiful and their little friendship and Ivy's support hints at possible romantic entanglement later, but cool. it's mostly just hints at this point, and it's more that Ivy is actually being supportive of her rather than abusive towards her. Like, the Joker's a giant asshole dick in this, like he always is to Harley. Yeah, and I appreciate that they're doing a Harley Quinn one, dealing with the Joker, and not treating him like it's something to look up to. And it, yeah, they absolutely are trading it. Like, no, he's a giant fucking mm-hmm. dickhole. Um, Kite Man trying to hit on Poison Ivy is one of my favorite things in the world. You've mentioned it about three times this week. Hilarious. Oh, Kite Man. Oh, <laughs> God. Uh, we'll probably, this is also on our list of future episodes, so. Yeah, we can get into Harley more later. Probably leave it at that. We have, like, the next, like, six episodes laid out, just the order we're still kind of picking. Um, let's see, what if I. What have I done? I started a comic book. I only read the first chapter called Captain Canuck. Apparently, there was this... And I just recently kind of learned this. There was this big Canadian comic book scene in, like, the 30s and then in, like, a brief resurgence in the 70s. And they had their own unique characters and all of this stuff. And I did not know about it. Were they printed on, like, maple syrup bottles? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it's like... Captain Canuck and like North Guard and all it, it was just a Canadian superhero universe uh, and a company called Chapter House Publishing got the rights to them and just out of sheer curiosity I've picked up the first couples of they they did a a relaunch of their own shared Canadian superhero universe 
and I haven't gotten far enough to really know how it is, but I'm just really excited to read it. <laughs> uh, and then I watched Star Trek Picard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that is, premiered. Yep. Yeah, watched the first episode. It is good. That's all I'm going to say about it right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It just Considering some of our plans, like, that's probably smart. And it just came out, so that's also smart. But we're talking Star Trek good. next week. You heard it here. I did have one other thing that I really was important that I ingested this week. Oh yeah, what's that? I got to watch Dan Silent Bob reboot. The fact that you made it sound like you were taking drugs with the way you put that sentence makes the fact that Jane Silent Bob reboot was the real answer so much better. Uh, <laughs> it's just really important to me. I'm a giant Kevin Smith fanboy. Uh, wouldn't podcast if it wasn't for listening to like Smodcast back when I first moved to town. Well, and I've been watching Kevin Smith since I was like 13 or 14 years old when I watched Mallrats, which was kind of one of the first places where I was like, oh, you can talk about nerd stuff, but still be like funny to other people. That's amazing. Right. Um, and I didn't realize what a big influence that had on me until honestly we started doing this show. Yeah, it's it's this weird thing of being seen. Having yeah. it's not as big of representation as what we normally talk about, but it was still a weird form of representation for it's not like there was a system stacked against nerds, but it was still a time period where you were very much being picked on for being a nerd. Yeah, this was one of the first times that I saw nerds in a show that we were being laughed with and not being laughed at. Mm-hmm. And again, when it comes to representation, that is so far down it's the so list of down important on the list. stuff. But it was still cool. Like, uh... And I mean, obviously, in recent years, he's basically be- become one of the biggest cheerleaders for nerd and geek shit out yeah. there. Um, yeah, it was a big deal for me. Um, I, I talked to one of my best friends because I heard him quoting a joke from um, the Mallrats commentary, which... I recognize from being from the Mallrats commentary. That is devotion. Uh, so I cried three times at it. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Kevin Smith probably cried a lot more. That, that's my, that was my thought while I was, I was like sitting there. I'm like, normally I'd hit my vape, but it is, it's a Kev movie and he likes a joint. So I'm going to roll a joint and do it along with this movie. And now I'm crying just like Kev. God I'm crying and coughing. Oh God, it's getting worse. <laughs> Uh, no, it was really, it was really good. There was a, it's Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, but it's a reboot. Awesome. Which is, I mean, it's, I like it. I'm it's exactly what it was supposed it. to be. Um, but it's also a really touching tale of, uh, Jason Mewes becoming a father. Yeah. That's the part I've really been looking forward to. And very, yeah, way more moving than I would have expected it to be. But also parts of it were moving just because I knew some of the meta layers behind it too. Yeah, so. exactly. Uh, I don't expect everyone to cry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's all I got. All right. Well, that brings us to what we were originally talking about. Well, let's take a quick break and we can talk about some soups. All right, Superman. So this is actually exciting for me because this episode was requested by someone who listens to the show. Thank you for requesting. Uh, as my buddy Roar, uh, because pretty much most people who are listening to us at this point in the show are people who know us already. Right. Which is great. That's fine. Thank you guys. We Not complaining. You. I probably don't know some of you. But he you. has... <laughs> I know I don't know some of you. Uh, he's one of my comic buddies, and he's heard my 
my rants about Superman and why he's important a couple of times. And he's like, just make a just make a podcast episode about this, man. Like you you have the platform now. Uh yeah. And I'm excited to hear you talk about <laughs> Superman more than I'm excited to hear me talk about Superman, but uh I will argue that Superman has the greatest origin story of all time. Well let's how about we start with that? It's a good place to start, is what's the origin? In-universe or out-of-universe, are we asking? Well, okay, were you bringing up in-universe or out-of-universe? I meant in-universe, but kind of both. Oh, okay. Uh, well, let's go out-of-universe Okay. to set up the character. That's and good. We'll I talk have all the notes in front of me for this one. Mm-hmm. So, Superman doesn't seem like such a big deal now, but he was the first superhero as we know it. There had been a few characters before, but they weren't, they weren't anything close to what Superman was. Uh, he, and he actually, the, the idea for Superman started six years, I want to say, before he actually came out in the comic books. Okay. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I should say that. Schuster? Schuster? I think it's Schuster. Schuster. Sorry, I'm terrible at pronouncing things. They, uh, just to give them all the credit though, because these two are amazing. We owe them so much just as a, as a fiction podcast or just as a fiction we owe Mm -hmm. these two. Uh, and they had originally created a book in 1933, a short story kind of like before comic books, there were pulps. Uh, the shadow comes from this era. Doc Savage comes from this era and send it, of course, from Penny Dreadfuls. Yes. They had written one of those and Joe or Jerry Siegel wrote one of those called the reign of the Superman or reign of Superman. The Reign of the Superman. That's what it was. Sorry. Okay. Uh, that Joe Schuster did illustrations for. And it's actually a very different story, but it is about a guy with superpowers who, in this case, was a villain and was bald. So it kind of, like, Lex Luthor and Superman were sort of the original, like, the same person originally. Okay. And then they started throwing together a... I really wish the look that I gave you translated more. Yeah, that was a look. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And they started translating it into the funny pages, into Mm -hmm. comics, because those were starting to become big, being seen more and more, but not really superhero comics yet. Mm -hmm. As I said, Superman was the first, and I'm going to say that a lot just to drive this home. Um, And then they actually couldn't get it sold. They tried and they tried and they tried to different companies and no one was that interested to it. At one point, Siegel decided that part of the problem was Schuster wasn't well known enough. So he sort of fired Schuster from Superman. They apparently worked on other projects together, but like Schuster left the project. Okay. And they got the guy that did Buck Rogers, of all things, to like help do art to try and sell this. Uh, and Buck Rogers ended up being huge. I was gonna. Back I mean, yeah. Like we don't really know him now. Flash Gordon eclipsed him, and people only sort of know Flash Gordon now. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still couldn't sell, and they couldn't sell. And he eventually left, and Schuster came back on board because they, I guess, kept in touch. And at first, Superman was a villain, and then Superman came from the future, not a different planet. And then Superman was a child sent from the future where mankind eventually, like, had made their own powers. And then eventually became an alien over time. I feel like bits of all of these ideas have been reused. Yes. Ad infinitum almost? Oh, pretty much. (laughs) Uh, Red Sun uses the idea that Superman's from the future. Kind of. Kind of. Implies, at least. Uh, And then... Eventually, they hit pay dirt 
and sold it to National Allied Publications, now known as DC, for something like a hundred to two hundred dollars. Oh shit! The original script, mm-hmm. which was not bad no. pay back in the day, they were getting like ten bucks a page, which isn't. It wasn't a lot, but some comic books were being made for a buck a page, so like, it was some real money. And that was in nineteen thirty eight. With uh, Adventure Comics number... No, Action Comics number one. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and history was made. That that image of Superman catching the like car coming down is iconic. You see it everywhere. Even outside of comic circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they really reuse it every chance they get oh, with they Superman properties. They cannot stop days. themselves. <laughs> it's cliche, but it's a well-done cliche, so I don't really mind. Um... Yeah, I will. I'll watch him hold the car like that way more often than I'll watch those goddamn pearls falling from Martha's neck. Oh my god! Yeah, other overdone cliche. But either way, Batman didn't come out for another couple years, and these guys made decent money originally at first, and then sold the rights and got super screwed over when DC got really big. But uh, what I think is the most important thing to note about the creators is the fact that these were two poor Jewish kids from the Bronx just before World War II and then during World War II. Superman bleeds from that origin. Uh, He's not a billionaire, which was super common at the time. He's an immigrant and he's got powers where uh, the creators were very powerless through most of their life. He is the ultimate immigrant story. He's kind of everything that like we like to say America's founded on. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't mind the truth, justice, and the American way kind of thing. And I was reading this. Mark Wade wrote an essay about it. Mark Wade is, uh, he wrote Kingdom Come is probably his best known comic book. He is basically recognized as the preeminent comic or Superman aficionado in the world. In 2005, and I don't know if this is still true, he had been able to say he had watched, read, and listened to every piece of existing Superman wow. media. That's insane. That's amazing. That's so There's much. some really bad stuff in that, too. Really <laughs> bad stuff in that. We will get to some of that bad stuff. Uh, but he talks about how... Uh, this is kind of, kind of tying in about people don't like Superman. They're like, he's too hokey. He's too do-gooder. But how... Superman being a do-gooder is kind of the only way he can really express himself because he's so powerful. And a lot of modern movies have kind of leaned into like how scary it would be to have someone that powerful Mm -hmm. in the world. But the only way he can really be himself and express himself and not be holding himself back is to be Kryptonian, to be Superman. But the only way he can be that powerful and still survive is to be that much of a do-gooder to be that to be the big nice. boy scout yeah so the only way he can be human is to be kryptonian and the only way he can be kryptonian is to be human i like that it's Poetic. it's a great read it's from superheroes and philosophy also i think it's just noteworthy especially in the modern day that it's the ultimate power fantasy and he's being kind and because almost everyone i know their big power fantasies is like Helping out their fellow man at this point. Like, mm-hmm. helping pay off student debts or helping do this and stuff. Like, people's power fantasies these days be kind because the world is hard. So a character whose big thing is he's powerful and he's kind is so important, I think. So, 
with with how powerful he is, mm-hmm. it's almost impossible that you, if you're listening to this, you don't know who Superman is. Yeah, but, but let's we... <laughs> but let's lay this down for a second. So, being Superman means you have what power? Oh, God, Superman uh, is so the best. Kal-El is Clark Kent. His power set. Okay, so his. We've got the ones that he's known for, and we have the insane, amazing ones that came out in, like, the 40s and 50s when they were just... Oh, right. Whatever. He's got flight. He's got super strength. He can fly through space. He can't, like, breathe in space, but he can fly for long enough and fast enough that it doesn't really matter. He has super breath, which sometimes is also freeze breath, which is a dumb ability, but it's... Great. Smallville actually had a really funny episode about him getting super breath and him being like kind of embarrassed by this weird new power, being like, What the hell am I supposed to do with this? (laughs) um, He has x ray vision, he has heat vision or laser vision. Generally, I think it's called heat vision these days. Mm -hmm. He lives pretty much forever. He doesn't actually have to eat, he gets his powers from the sun. And. I always forget he doesn't actually have to eat. Yeah. In some versions, he's portrayed as a vegetarian because he can't, like, he's like, I I don't have to kill an animal to survive. Like, I can't morally do this. Mm -hmm. And it's not even, like, arguably, he just, he doesn't need to eat. So there's no reason he needs to eat animal. I'm not saying it's the version they have to go with, but I thought it was an interesting take. Mm. Mark Wade wrote that. And then on the other, oh, he's got super senses hearing all of that stuff. Uh, and then on the other end of the, like, weird abilities, he was psychic sometimes in, like, the 40s and 50s. He could, like, mold his face to different, like... <laughs> uh, uh, what were some of the, like... Literally, if they needed anything taken care of, he just had the super ability to do it. He had super sewing, oh, which wow. just meant that he sewed at, like, the speed of light. Oh, was it good, though? I mean, they said it was. Everything <laughs> Superman did was... Super. He was, it, he was just such an asshole for a while in those stories. <laughs> like, see, and I think, so I guess to to begin, I guess to at least tie in a little bit our own personal histories. Sorry. Like that's why I didn't like Superman was because he was always too powerful. There's a, and I think that's a big criticism. And I think it's kind of a valid criticism, but I think it's a valid criticism of other characters that don't get it at the same time. Like. Goku is as obscenely, stupidly powerful as Superman with the same, like, do-gooder attitude, but he's not joked about as, like, dunked on as Superman seems to be in the modern day, which I just don't really understand. Uh, But I think the answer to this is how you do this is you really emphasize the broader life of Superman, not just Superman, but really put time into Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. I think Clark Kent is as important, if not more important, than Superman for a good Superman story. And, like, it's weird he's kind of treated as two different people. Wikipedia actually has, like, a Clark Kent and a Superman, like, page, like, separates. Oh, okay. Uh, which they do not have for, like, Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Uh, but the very human effort, the the intelligent reporter, the super fiery Lois Lane. And Lois is another character that was not treated very well for a long time. They tried. She had her own series in the 70s, Superman's Girlfriend Lois Lane. But the fact that it was, was called the name of the Superman's Girlfriend Lois Lane <laughs> drives home how it didn't really do what it was supposed to do. It was trying. 
But but I mean, even as far back as like the fifties TV show, she was portrayed as a strong and capable reporter who didn't take sass from men. And having that character, having that extremely human, probably smarter than Superman, and gutsy character really brings home, like really adds to what makes Superman interesting. You you show why he's human and then you can have the cool, big, splashy action mm-hmm. scenes at the same time. Uh, same reason I love Mon Pa Kent. Same reason that I like, I don't love Jimmy Olsen, but I like Jimmy Olsen. I love Perry White, his editor. I was super in love with Chloe Sullivan back in the day, but for <laughs> reasons we've discussed, that's really awkward now. <laughs> now you, well, we 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 don't have to go into that. Uh, she ran a sex cult. Okay. I was gonna say now you know that she might have been down. Oh God! But like, also that's horrifying. And no. <laughs> Anyways, uh, what what was your experience? What was your first experience with Superman? Do you know? So so we touched on this a little bit back on the Origins episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Superman was some of the first superheroes. Anything I saw and knew was a superhero. Yeah, he, he's so iconic. Like, I saw, I technically saw Swamp Thing before I remember seeing Superman. Because mm-hmm, you were watching the show all the time. Right, but I didn't realize Swamp Thing was at all connected to DC. I didn't know it was at all connected to superheroes. It was just this walking plant man that I thought looked really cool. Yeah. <clears throat> you weren't wrong. For Superman, I had the uh, 50s cartoons on VHS. Oh, the, the, the Flesher cartoons? Mm-hmm. God, those are hand-painted. Those um, are gorgeous. So I used to watch those a lot as like a seven or eight year old. That's that, perfect age for it. And then I kind of grew to hate Superman for a long time because I was one of those people that weren't connected enough into comics to understand how vulnerable he is for being as powerful, as stupidly overpowered as he was. What's good about that is I did too. Like I'm the one being like, no! Superman's amazing! I totally sound like a sane human being. But I could not stand Superman. I think I mentioned it in the Origins episode too. Uh, I had the my, my buddy that got me into comic books, his dad's favorite character was Superman. And we argued for years about who was better, Batman or Superman. Who was not? Of course it's Batman. Mm-hmm. Superman's a terrible character. And even when I read stories that I enjoyed him in, because I tended to enjoy him, I but it was... It was not cool to like Superman. <laughs> uh, and then I read All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison in high school. And I just remember putting down the comic and being like, son of a bitch. Mark was right. This is awesome. Uh, I had that same experience with a different story in a little bit later. But, uh, <laughs> I, I have to admit, I'm still the person like, because Superman gets... He's iconic. He gets brought up a lot. Whenever someone's sitting there throwing around like, oh yeah, what about this superhero versus this superhero or whatever, some motherfucker always thinks they have the trump card pulling Superman because they don't know enough. Oh yeah. (laughs) And you know what? Superman is so overpowered that you can tell some really boring, lazy stories with him. I am not going to pretend that Superman is the... Like, there's, there's never been bad Superman stories. But I, and I do have to say, I'm, I'm a little bit jaded in the sense that I'm like, uh, now that I know Superman's weaknesses, like, I know enough. I'm just like, I'm always the one in the back, like, did they have a day to prepare? Cool. <laughs> cool, I'm choosing Constantine. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, guess who's going to win? I mean, everyone knows Kryptonite, which I love was created, uh, not in the comics, but in the radio show. 
Oh, okay. It was created in the radio show to give the guy who played Superman the day off. That's amazing. <laughs> so he could have a day off, and they'd be like, there's kryptonite. Uh, I guess Jimmy and Lois have to solve this one. Because he didn't want to be there. Uh, because comics, or not comics, radio shows in the 40s, almost all radio we see today is pre-recorded. What you and I are doing, basically. Everything was live back then. So, if Superman was appearing daily, then... Then he was on the radio live daily. Yeah. And Superman was fucking popular as shit, so Superman was on daily. <laughs> Superman fought the KKK in the 40s. This is my all-time favorite comic book story. And I actually looked up... the, or I, I found one of my favorite things from... Um, I'm going to recommend a book real fast called Was Superman a Spy by Brian Cronin. Hmm. Brian Cronin is a news, a comic book reporter, as weird as it is that that exists, who researches and tell, wrote books about famous comic book legends. Uh, and he talks about fighting the KKK in this one. Uh, back in the 40s, there was a guy named Stetson Kennedy who just, for obvious reasons, hated the KKK because they were they they were are will always be terrible mm -hmm. um and so he infiltrated them to see if there was anything he could do to kind of like help bring them down and realized how dumb they were even more at that point uh drunk history has a great episode about this that's okay. super funny and he called up the producers of superman and he's like so i've got an idea why don't you have an episode where superman is fighting totally not the kkk but totally the kkk We'll call him the Clan of the Burning Cross. Like, real aware of who we're talking <laughs> about here. We're going to portray them as super dumb. Every one of them will be an inept idiot. And we will use the real secret code words that they use in the KKK on the show. So not only will we ruin the code words, we'll make them look real <laughs> dumb. And it worked. Nice. Uh, th there's arguments about how much it actually affected clan membership, mm -hmm. but people who were in the clan, their kids were laughing at how dumb the clan was, and they were like, "Oh no, damn you, Superman!" And like it, it didn't obviously didn't get rid of the KKK, and it obviously didn't solve racism forever. But it was just great to see Superman standing up to that. It's that is the ultimate example of him being an ally, <laughs> like. That's fucking hilarious. Uh, author Jean Luen Yang. I'm probably mispronouncing that, and I'm sorry because I love your work so much. He wrote American Born Chinese is probably his best known work. Uh, is writing a Superman story today where he fights the Klan, and I think it's just based off that original radio play. Okay. So, we got some of the origin mm -hmm. out of universe. If you don't know, Superman story in universe would then be... I love All-Star Superman does this in, like, six words and pictures and does it perfectly. I actually reread All-Star Superman last night. I so. meant to and then read Captain Canuck instead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm terrible at homework. But it's uh, Doomed Planet, Lone Survivor, Kindly Couple, Superman. The last son of Krypton is launched from his planet by Jor-El and Laura, who die, which I remember being like, how... How would people let their own planet die? And then growing up being like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm political today. I'm not sorry. Um, found by nice Midwestern family, Ma and Pa Kent, who are, or Jonathan and Martha Kent. Martha. Martha. 
<laughs> who raise him to not be a dick. Raise him on the concept of kindness and helping people. Moves to Metropolis, becomes reporter Clark Kent, falls in love with Lois Lane, saves the world. What do you have to say about the ever-present, but isn't Superman, just Clark Kent without glasses? <laughs> There's a lot of really interesting theories about that, because ultimately it is um, hard to say how well it would work. One had, like, a book that came out a couple years ago had it that just the fact that Superman was Clark Kent is an open secret in Smallville. Like, everyone knows and just no one <laughs> says anything because they don't want to be rude. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> because, you know, he grew up around them and when he was learning how to control his powers, they were like, that Kent boy is kind of weird. And then Superman shows up doing all the stuff that Kent boy did. And they were like, oh, yeah, okay. Gotcha. Work it, bud. <laughs> um, but, like... Charlie Chaplin took third in a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest. Exactly. And there's other stuff where that's happened. Uh, and I really like the idea that he's just a devoted method actor. That he, like, hunches over and he talks really quiet and he lowers his, raises his voice a little bit. And people don't put a whole lot of attention to him. And then when he plays the Superman, he is up... Um, a lot of times it's portrayed that part of the reason that he's floating a lot of the time, beyond the fact that if I could float, I would float always. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 100% of the time. Um, that it changes the view that people are looking at him from. So it's oh, his funny. face is a little less. And all of it, in theory, doesn't really work, but also kind of could because people are dumb. Yeah, I was about to say, kind of works. Lois doesn't have a great excuse. A lot of other people... I can see it. Uh, I love uh, Lois Lane. Lois Lane is one of my first crushes. I love how often they have Lex figure it out and just be like, it can't be close. That's that's impossible. That's really dumb. My own ego is just <laughs> saying that is too ridiculous. Because that happens in multiple stories where he's just like, that can't be right. Here's a question for you. Do you prefer Lex Luthor as like, evil tycoon businessmen that people think are like a good guy or as like mad scientists chased down by the law i like um kind of the first i guess i feel like lex to me and maybe you i mean you've read mm -hmm. more superman than me so this might not actually be the case but in my viewing of the character of lex i feel he started out a little bit more just all-inclusive, slightly cartoony mad villainy. Oh, his early stuff was insane. <laughs> but I like the more modern version of Lex, where part of his ire towards Superman is that Lex would be the best, but Superman exists. Yeah, I, I love that concept. Uh, Lex originally was just straight-up supervillain. The, the, the businessman angle wasn't used till the 80s. Mm. But we grew sense. up on it, so we didn't really know about it. Um, he, at one point, created the uh, planet Lexor and populated it with Lex Luthers and just lived there, which is like the most Lex Luthor idea of all time. And then John Byrne, who I have some issues with as a creator, but I thought he did a great job with Superman, made him as kind of a skinny kingpin, but also a super scientist like on the sly, which is the idea that I thought got the most legs because it it made a much more interesting not parallel but like opposite of superman well and i was 
I was thinking really hard about Lex a little bit earlier today. Just because I was I was kind of thinking like, well, technically, Lex is iconic for Superman as Joker is for Batman. Oh, yeah. Although he's n- arguably never been as popular as Joker's gotten. No, and especially in the modern day, but everyone knows Lex Luthor. If I shave off my beard, I look like Lex Luthor, and people call me it constantly. Like, if you're bald, you're going to hear Lex Luthor references. And so then I was thinking all four of them, and I was trying to think of why the reason that might be. Mm -hmm. And I realized kind of the reason is that his popularity isn't sapped by, like, Joker. His popularity is sapped by Batman. Mm Mm-hmm. Batman is kind of an interesting villain, or whenever Batman is against Superman, it's kind of something we've already seen. It's kind of Lex Luthor Because Lex Luthor is basically just <laughs> Batman with a Superman obsession. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you said that Lex Luthor would be the best if it wasn't for Superman. I love that as Lex's motivation. It is absolute horseshit, though. But like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because I've heard, I've had people argue that to me before. Be like, no, Lex was right. And I'm like, I'm worried about you that you're siding with Lex Luthor on things. Because he's a dick. But it is a very kind he of has like... The, he has the potential p- to be the best if it wasn't for Superman. It, it's kind of a... Uh, he could do anything. A Julius Caesar thing. Like, mm-hmm. Lex is kind of a modern day Julius Caesar in its own weird way. Uh, we did a... Um, we talked a lot about Julius Caesar recently on the art of wargaming, so I was thinking about this. There's a quote that part of the reason that the Roman Republic fell and became a Roman Empire was that Caesar couldn't handle having anyone outrank him. And that is Lex Luthor to a T. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I like that better than just, like, mad scientist. Yeah! Just, just pure, <laughs> I'm going to be evil for evil's sake, Luthor, mm-hmm. uh, I guess. So, on the idea of his power, of Mm -hmm. powers in general, now that we're talking about one character from comics, I kind of wanted to bring this up because we kind of touched on it when we were talking in Crisis. Yeah. Whenever there's, like, three or more heroes get together, and especially if they're the big-name heroes, about half of their powers tend to just go right out the door. You kind of have to. I think... In your opinion, which ones get dropped most often for Superman? Well, Super Breath. Absolutely Super Breath. The ones that tend to be used there... I'm going to count Super Strength and Durability as one Mm -hmm. power for the... That flight and his eyeball powers tend to be the ones that are used the most. The either Heat Vision or Super Vision. Sometimes Hearing, not used quite as often. Um, But Superman, when teamed up, tends to just be the Hammer. So the ones that are most directly combat-based tend to be the big ones that are kept, and anything not involving flight, super strength, eyeballs, tends to be dropped. Most often I see his intellect dropped absolutely first. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, and it's hard when you have Batman next to you, or like six super scientists. Because Superman's not dumb, He's he's a capable reporter, which means he's basically a capable detective. But... When you have Batman next to you, like, play your strength, Superman needs mm-hmm. to, like, punch the guy while Batman does the the de- de- detectoring. But we, I mean, comparatively, especially later Superman comics tend to play up in his solo stuff. The mm-hmm. fact that he's a he's pretty... He's smart. He's a 
basically a Kryptonian scientist at this point, after he spends all of his time learning shit in the Fortress of Solitude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a Superman Earth 1 that played with the idea that Clark Kent could have done literally anything he wanted. Like, he moved to, uh, to Metropolis, and he just goes from, like, place to place to place of, like, a sports tryout, or this laboratory, or this other thing, and or this possible patent, and it's like a Kryptonian tech or something like that. Uh, and all of them are like, please, we will give you so much money. We will give you so much money. But the reason that he chose the Daily Planet was the fact that the Daily Planet had, like, ethics with what it was. Like, they're like, well, we can't pay you a dick, but, like, we're, we're trying to fight for what's right. Yeah. We're truly the fourth estate. <laughs> yeah. The Daily Planet is very much, like, what we wish the New York Times was. Mm-hmm. And I'd also say... Unless there's a speedster on the team with him so they can compare speed, he is suddenly just as slow as any other hero. Happens a lot. Like, he's fast, but he's not flash fast, but when he needs to be. Um, I have always very much gone on the idea that Superman is not as fast as the Flash. Like, that's an ongoing argument, and no, he loses. I'd say he loses as well. I do think he is often, he should be faster than he is often portrayed. Yeah. Again, it's hard. Super speeders are almost the hardest thing to use in a group setting so because powerful. There's, there's so many things you can do with it. It's so powerful. When they're like, well, I just broke this password because I tried it 5,000 times or something like that. Or, oh, I uh, hit you 400 times in the last blink. Like, it's, it is hard to combat that. So even in his own story, Superman gets slowed down quite a lot. Yeah, kind of depending on author. Yeah. It's always been kind of the thing of comics. Powers are about as powerful as you need them to be for the story, as opposed to, like, they're always this much. So I know that you wanted me to name off uh, the Superman actors that yes, we've had. Yes, because especially after watching Crisis, there was no way we were going to not talk about who's your favorite Superman. Uh, and so I was going to bring up all the Superman actors, mm -hmm. including voice actors. That's a lot. And then I realized that 50 people have portrayed Superman oh, at this that point. That is a lot. I was not going to name off 50 names and where they've portrayed Superman. So I'm going to give one voice actor and the 10 live-action Superman that we've had. Okay. The voice actor I'm, I'm going to give is Bud Collier. Because he's the first person to portray right. Superman. He's that, I was just going to look up his name just to make sure that got mentioned. Uh, he was the radio guy. He was the early cartoon guy. He did a later resurrection of the cartoons in the mid-60s to the early 70s. I will also actually call out one more, mm -hmm. uh, just because this is the one that is my Superman voice. The Paul Denny, Bruce Tim Superman, the animated series uh, is... Um, Tim Daly? Tim Daly. And then someone else took over in Justice League, but Tim Daly's the name I always remember. Just because so much I think of that that guy when I think of Superman. Uh, and due to the fact that Bud Collier was this radio Superman, he has been Superman longer than any other Superman. Yeah. I mean, a lot of stuff was invented for him, as we said. Like, uh, we had Kirk Allen, who was in Superman in 1948, and Adam Man vs. the Superman in 1950. I've not tracked these ones down. I have tracked down those uh, early Batman ones. George Reeves, the who, legend himself, 
So I told you that I had one little story that I wanted to bring to the pod today that goes off a little bit on a weird tangent. So, okay, I don't have a lot on George Reeves, so like I'd, I'd love to hear more here. <clears throat> so George Reeves first portrayed Superman in Superman vs. Or, and the Mole Men in 1951. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost unfortunately for him, he ended up growing to really not liking to portray his yeah, character. It backfired on him to play Superman hard. He's tragic and we kind of got to talk about him. He was, it was kind of a shit contract. He wasn't getting paid badly for it. But he wasn't he, getting paid what it was worth. He wasn't getting paid what it was worth. And the contract basically kept him from being able to do other things mm-hmm. in multiple ways. Ugh. Um, and beyond that, even once he was done being Superman for the most part, other than still reprising it, and like he did it in stage plays and all sorts of shit. Um, did a lot of public appearances, I know. Mm-hmm. He would... He was then typecast for the rest of his life. Could not get another job. There was a really good movie about this that came out a couple years uh, ago. Hollywoodland, 2006, with mm-hmm. Ben Affleck, Adrian Brody. Yeah, not a happy movie. Uh, <laughs> that There's some really neat things about it, though. Like, even though he grew to hate the character, he understood the importance of how much of a role model it was mm-hmm. and actually changed... He stopped smoking in public. Because he didn't want to... I, I read about that, because he didn't want to, like... The kids to... Yeah. And eventually gave up smoking altogether. Good for him. So the weird part, uh, and it's going to get a little... It it gets murky, because it is murky. His death has officially been ruled a suicide. Uh, He killed himself uh, with a gun at a party in his uh, Hollywood home uh, with his fiancée in attendance after they had a bit of an argument uh, when a party... Basically woke him up late into the night that he didn't even know, like, the neighbors are going to show up. And mm-hmm. Here's where it gets mm, more complicated. Okay. Before he was with that fiancé, whose last name was Lemon, but I can't remember her first name. I think Lorraine Lemon. Anyway, he was, uh, for eight years, he had been dating a gal named Tori Mannix. Okay. Uh, Tori Mannix was married. Her and her husband had an open relationship uh, her husband's name was Eddie Mannix, and there was often times when all three of them would be seen out on the town together. He was also her sugar baby. His, yeah, her sugar baby. Daddy. No, 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 no. Oh. She was making the money. Oh, okay. Uh, Eddie Mannix was a notorious Hollywood fixer. I'm not sure what Ooh. his official job title was, but if you needed, say, a hooker disappeared from Ben Affleck's trailer. <laughs> God. Couldn't resist the Kevin Smith reference. Or if you needed to cover up the fact that Clark Gable possibly killed somebody in a drunk driving accident, which mm. is another theory that this same guy is linked to. Yep, I remember hearing about that one. Okay. George breaks up with Tori mm-hmm. after being her sugar baby for years, and I believe she bought his house. Oh. <laughs> and then shortly afterwards, he dies. And he hooks up with the the new fiance, L- Lorraine Lemon. Mm-hmm. Lorraine Lemon was originally from the East Coast, where she had already gained a reputation. And who knows if this reputation was true, because it's the 50s, and they didn't view women very favor- favorably, especially ones trying to yeah. up their way up the social ladder. Inherent but, sexism. But supposedly had mob connections, and was also supposedly a giant gold digger. Oh, great, a mob girl. Attached herself to George Reeves, because... George Reeves, because... Fucking Superman, right? Yeah. Finds out he's not nearly as rich as... Exactly. And their relationship is kind of reportedly, kind of publicly on the rocks at the time. Mm-hmm. 
uh, as I said, they go out on the town. Even them going out on the town accounts differ as to whether they went to dinner or went to like a prize fight. Different people have already said seeing them at both places. <laughs> go home. He decides to go to bed. She has some friends over. The friends invite other friends over. They throw an impromptu party. He wakes up, comes downstairs. They have an argument. Mm-hmm. As I and like I said, that's what leads to his apparent suicide. When the when the gunshot goes off, supposedly his his fiance runs upstairs, finds his body. Nobody at the party called the police for at least another hour. They continued the party because they were all too drunk to deal with it. Supposedly downstairs, uh, a lot of their stories didn't match up. They washed the body before the autopsy, so nothing was able to be found what? on it. Uh, they never even tried to take prints off of the gun. I did not. I I knew the like George the George Reeves killed himself story and always found that depressing as hell. Uh, but man, this really drives home the side point of if you look on the behind the scenes. As much as I love Superman, there's not many happy stories behind the scenes of Superman. Uh, they did. I mean, there was a blood splatter that indicated he probably shot himself, and they did dig a bullet out of the ceiling. What's not often talked about is the fact that they also dig, dug two bullets from the same gun out of the floor in front of him. Hmm. His mother was not very happy with the way it, the investigation was being treated and pushed for a second autopsy before he was uh, very quickly and embalmed after that. The second autopsy found uh, a m- bunch of bruising around his head and neck. Oh, Jesus. So George Reeves was murdered is basically what we're looking at here. During the investigation, the seal for some of the evidence was broken and apparently like $4,000 worth of traveler's checks went missing that supposedly the fiancé ran off with, the mob-affiliated fiancé. George Reeves was murdered, oh my god. However, his entire estate was left to Tory Mannix. Huh. So there's two possible good sources there. Jesus. I'm sorry, George. <laughs> Said after that second autopsy, he was really quickly embalmed and buried. And the possibility of getting much more information other than what we have right now became almost non-existent. I'm sorry, George. There was one guy connected to Tori Mannix who mostly in what seems to be a fit of publicity said that in her later years while she was suffering from mental decline supposedly admitted to having him killed but he's basically the only person to say that and nobody else seems to corroborate that at all yeah there's nothing to confirm that all right that's true of a lot of mob kind of stories all right now after that happy point who's our next superman actor yeah i i Sorry to bring the room down, but no. it's something that hardly ever gets talked about and is That's super weird. That's something I didn't weird. know about comic books. That's my favorite thing. It's super weird story, too. Like Also, mob stories. I should not enjoy stories about the mob as much as I do because they were awful. Well, then, of course, we have the legend. Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve. Who, that's my number one, if we're going to go for... Who also did not have a happy ending. No. Yeah, Christopher Reeve is... Easily the most iconic. He did it in four different times, or four different occasions, and actually came back for Smallville as, like, a professor. Like, someone who knew about Krypton's past. 
I always forget how big he actually... He was 6'4". Yeah, he's not a small man. I think he played a very good Superman, particularly for the 70s. I did not enjoy his Clark Kent. That's really fair. And I got where he came from, but he played it very much from the school that Clark Kent is just a mask. And as I've discussed, I really don't agree with that view, so uh, that Clark Kent is not that interesting to me. I, I have one little thing. I have If we're going to be talking about Christopher Reeve's mm-hmm. Superman too. You all realize out there listening to me right now that he's not turning the earth backwards, right? That's not how he's causing time to go backwards. He's just going backwards through time. And you're seeing the earth go backwards. backwards. (laughs) Um, Or there's the, uh, in the second one, the thing where he like throws his S shield and it becomes like a like sticky prison. Christopher Reeves is great. A lot of his movies are not. Kneel before Zod. That part was. <laughs> Chris Reeves played a great Superman. Oh, did you know it was almost played by Paul Newman? I'm glad it was Reeve. Yeah. <laughs> he looked the part. And then unfortunately, he did the movie four times, diminishing returns every time. And then he got in a horseback riding accident and lost full use of his body pretty much. Like he pretty was neck down. Mm-hmm. Oof. Uh, but became a very good voice for people who were paralyzed. Was an excellent, and even acted. As I said, he came back in Smallville as a as a professor who knew Krypton's past and was kind of like the Can you trust this guy? Um, he still always seemed really determined to do what he could. Yeah, Christopher Reeves is an incredibly impressive human being. John Hames Newton was Superboy, which. Close. I have seen nothing of it. That was the 1988 syndicated series. Yeah, I, yeah, I've I've heard that it was okay. Superboy being a young Clark Kent has never been the most interesting thing to me. I prefer like Smallville, where he's not developed his identity yet. Gerard Christopher and the Adventures of Superboy from 89 through 91. Forgot about that. They recast Superboy halfway through. Dean Cain. I loved that show, and it's real bad, and Dean Kane might even be worse. Yeah, man, Dean, why? Uh, I like that show, too. We though. are unusually political today. I guess, I, as I said, I think Superman's inherently political. I don't think you can really not. Most comics are? Yeah, comics uh, comics and science fiction gen- t- tend to be inherently political, and he's both of them. Uh, Tom Welling. My Superman. He is the one that I connect to so strongly. Uh, One of my favorite parts of Crisis was getting to see him. I know you haven't really watched Smallville, so you don't have much of a connection. And I'm not saying it's good TV. I'm saying I grew up with him being (laughs) Superman. Ah, I understand. Uh, Brandon Ruth, who is probably my number two now, especially with the Crisis crossover. Brandon Ruth is amazing, and both times I realized how much I would have watched more. Oh, quick thing on Tom Welling, place where he deserves credit. He briefly had the longest-running science fiction show in history. He had over 200 episodes of Superman. That is... Wow. uh, Most sci-fi series don't get that long. I think SG-1 might have beat it, or he beat SG-1. okay. And then some series beat him later. Like, he's had more episodes as Superman than Doctor Who has had episodes. That's insane. Yeah. Holy shit. I mean, he did it for 10 years. 10 seasons... Or not episodes of Doctor Who, but stories of yeah, Doctor Who. Doc, yeah. Because they used to be multi-parters back in the day. But uh, Henry Cavill. Underrated. I think, I think he's... he's a, I mean, look at him. 
he's he looks like Superman. Looking Superman. Uh, he pulled on the charm when he wanted to. Uh, his movie was not good. No, no, his movie was not good. Oh, his that first time he takes off flying though. First time he takes off flying, and the bit right at the end where he like the general's driving down the road and he just drops the drone in front of it and he's like, "Hey, this was following me again." Yeah. Good talk. <laughs> like, not scared of you at all. I'm here to help, but screw you. Uh, I still don't know how to say his last name, but Tyler Hawklin. Yeah. He, his Clark is real good. I am curious to see his Superman develop a little bit with the new series, but I'm excited for it. I'm really excited to see more of his Superman when he's, because he's not going to be always appearing as a guest on Supergirl. Yeah. And, and technically, I mean, in Crisis, Supergirl is revealed as being technically stronger than Superman. But Superman's always portrayed as more experienced, though. Like, that's mm-hmm. the trade-off. That's he's, the trade-off. He's got the fine control of the powers in a way that she does not. And, and I mean, so far his appearances have been as guest spots on Supergirl. So, so he, I want to see him as... The number one star. The number one. Yeah. I think Brandon Ruth plays a better Superman than him. As I said, I think he's got the Clark Kent down. So he just has to... He's got the good homeboy charm down. Now we have to see if he can pull off the inspiring. And that's what I got for the live actions. It's great. You said yours is Christopher Reeve? Yeah. I think Tim Daly's mine. Daly is mine. And then followed after by Tom Welling. Yeah. I'd probably go Reeve than Ruth. Fair enough. Oh, I'm not sure. I, I I knew I was going to mention this, but I wasn't sure where. You see a Superman a lot as Jesus allegory. Uh, right. Brandon Ruth, the Superman Returns, had you it see a that couple a of times. A lot with Cavill. Cavill, yeah, it's like the main story. I really dislike it. I I think it I is, understand completely. I get where, where it's coming from. from. I think it's unfair to his origins because he's he's the creation of. Two angry Jewish kids. Not even angry. Two Jewish kids with their power fantasy of, like, doing good. And I think you can tell that story as the savior without making him Jesus. I agree. I kind of, I find it a little bit lazy, but I understand when people play into it because it is, the way his stories get told, it's kind of there in the background a lot of the time anyway. Oh yeah. I don't think Morrison was ever at all trying to do that in All-Star Superman, and I think there's times in that story where it's very apparent anyway. Well, and you can still do him kind of as a savior character. Mm-hmm. Grant Morrison, he's got a line they used it in Man of Steel is one of the best parts of like people will like you will guide the humanity, they will stumble, they will fall, but one day they will join you in the sun, which is made extremely literal in <laughs> Superman All-Star Superman, but uh, I think that's a great way of portraying other aspects of Superman. But I think you can do it without being like, he's Jesus! Yeah, I I agree. And especially for the points that you brought up. Like, he comes from Jewish immigrants. Why are you making him Jesus? That said, I got a buddy that's a pastor that really loves that aspect. So different people can like different things. Yeah. Yeah, mostly I just understand it. I kind of feel it's lazy whenever they do it. I'll I, agree with that wholeheartedly. But I understand it. Since we've mentioned it a couple times now, and are, are trending towards back towards the comic side, for you, 
I, you wanted to bring top five. I said, let's narrow it to top three. Okay. Top three, uh, all-star Superman by Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley already, already talked about that one several times. It is very much on the Superman side over the Clark Kent side, but it is a very, it's all the most weird, beautiful things that Grant Morrison does through a story about Superman, knowing he's going to die and basically knocking items off his bucket list. That's my number two. I, d- I don't really have a, like, which one of these is best, but just a... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then Superman Birthright by Mark Wade and Lionel Francis Yu, which is a... Or it's my favorite version of the origin story. It came out about 2002, and it mixed elements of, like, Smallville, because Smallville was on TV at the time, and the classic Superman, and the John Byrne Superman, and I thought it was just a very good balance of Superman appears, why he becomes Superman, and earning the trust of Metropolis. Because, like, Man of Steel, Men of Man of Steel, whatever, the movie, mm-hmm. no one trusted him. That was, like, the whole point of this. This one started with no one trusted him, and then showed why people started to. Which I thought was very well done. Uh, and then my final... Probably What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way by, I think it was Mike Carey, and I'm going to be real embarrassed. It might be Joe Casey. I get those two mixed up. And Doug Monkey, who I'm not usually a big fan of, but I 